0: We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and world team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age.
1: well, welcome. This is Hampton Lee, and Bob Brandon, and we're doing Politics Friday. I don't even know what number this is. I should have uh, looked it up. It's around thirty-four or five. <clears throat>
2: we're getting up there, Hampton. <laughs> you had a you had a nice trip to Colorado recently, I think.
1: I did. We got to go up to Winter Park to the Crooked Creek Ranch. Um, young life camp <clears throat> and that's quite the ministry it was a lot of fun
2: yeah that's nice I, think, I used to work in Rocky Mountain National Park and so this part of that you know uh Grand, like Granby area you were pretty close to that I did right? go through
1: Granby I uh, left Winter Park Frazier Frazier is actually where we were mm-hmm. and I drove up to Granby and circled around
2: did you see those nice lakes up there, Lake mm-hmm. Granby and then Shadow Mountain Lake, and yeah. Grand Lake? Yeah, those are nice.
1: Yeah, it's gorgeous country.
2: Those are nice. Well, I was in Ohio for four or five days while you were doing some of that, and guess what? I got what? I got bit by a brown recluse spider. Oh wow! Yeah, it's horrible. I had to go to the, go to the dock. Oh, it's terrible. My foot was so swollen, you wouldn't believe it. But I toughed it out, Hampton, and here I am.
1: Well, we're toughing it out here in Texas. the, uh, <laughs> the weather has been over a hundred degrees every day for the last two weeks. I missed one of those weeks because we were in Colorado. But um, and then when I look at my phone, it shows one hundred and two, one hundred and three, one hundred and four every day. As far as it, you know, ten days out. <laughs>
2: That's a tough 100, too, isn't it, right? That it's kind of grippy humidity.
1: Well, you know, it's kind of weird. It's only 29% humidity.
2: Oh, not bad. So not bad. it's not a
1: dry heat exactly, but it's,
2: <clears throat> it's bearable. Yeah, dry heat, still heat anyway. That's right. Okay, so <clears throat> you need to get excited, Hampton, because today... We're going to read, we'll just do a fair amount of reading, and it'll be the um, Declaration of Independence. We're just going to read that document. And then we're going to read the Constitution of the United States. So um, it's going to be fun, but I got to set it up. Like, say, for instance, I'm going to teach you know, one of the biblical books at some conference or some church or something like that, and you're going to get a few days to, to go through a biblical book. Well, what you typically do is set that up, right? If you're going to talk about Deuteronomy, for instance, you got to set that up historically, uh, what was going on in Israel at the time, things like that, right? You got to set it theologically and historically in its context, in the unfolding of God's word, you know, its place in history, things like that. So so you have to do that same with the Constitution and with the Declaration of Independence. So I'm gonna read a little bit from Larry Arne, just maybe two pages. This book comes out of Hillsdale and it's called the U.S. Constitution a reader. You know, when you go to school at Hillsdale, you have to take this class. That's part of your curriculum. You have to learn all about the Constitution. That's a good school up there. You ever met met any students from there? I've not. Yeah, I I have a couple. It's it's a good school. So let's dive into this. So it's the first paragraph, you know, includes some stuff we don't necessarily need, but it's part of the paragraph. So I got to read it. The first section of the US Constitution, a reader, includes parts of two classic works, a political philosophy by Aristotle, the first political scientist. They explain how politics arises from the nature of the human being, from the specific faculty that makes him able to reason, to talk to choose according to moral criteria and to live in connection with one another more profoundly than any other living beings on earth. Let's pause there just for a second. (coughs) So uh, remember how we would sort of chuckle about the education of the founding fathers. In their college entrance requirements. Right. <laughs> Remember, they'd have to read all those classics, right? And then be, and the Bible, and be able to translate it, you know, from Greek to Latin to French to English, back and forth. So, they're reading that stuff as part of their education. So, what they were so good on, this, this is referring to the founding fathers, was the nature of mankind. Right, they they were grounded in that, what a human being was. There's primarily two critical elements to the nature of humankind. Number one, mankind is the image of God. But number two, that image has fallen ever since Genesis 3. So, whatever political system is established in an entity, right, in a government or in a nation, if it doesn't correspond to those two elements, it's not going to be good. Right. Right. So those guys were so good at at knowing what a human being was, and and the commensurate um, application of that is they really strove to provide liberty for humans because. Mankind's the image of God, and you, you need the freedom to express that. And second, they really strove to separate the powers because mankind was fallen. And if you trusted in any one branch of government, it was going to fall, it was going to become corrupt over time. So they separated those powers in order to balance them. So that, that's why the U.S. has had such a phenomenal rise in, world, in the world history. And now we're on the precipice of this great fall. But anyway, back to Larry Yarn. We Americans living in a liberal and he he has in parentheses in a in the old sense regime rightly believe that the purpose of government is to protect our private rights our rights to our property, to our conscience, to our liberty to speak and worship as we please. We think the government must not exercise any authority over us except by our consent. This being so, we might forget the other side of American politics or rather something at its foundation. The classics of Western civilization can help us understand why we Americans salute our flag, love our country, sacrifice for it, pay our highest honors to those who give to it the last full measure of devotion.
1: Who was the first one to say that, do you know? I don't. Was it Lincoln at the Gettysburg Address or something like that? I don't know,
2: I, I don't know either. Good question. The founders built a different regime than the kind of regime known to ancient thinkers, but the founders counseled that the reading of the classics was essential to understanding our nation too. Their republicanism built, they believed, upon the best examples of the past. Section. One also includes letters by two statesmen on the meaning of the Declaration of Independence and its relation to the Constitution. There's no mention of the Constitution in the Declaration of Independence. It came later. Right. There's no mention of the Declaration in the Constitution either, and this fact has led to debate about the relationship between them. To examine that debate is one of the key purposes of any study of the Constitution. And this reader, and he means that's a reference to this book, uh, contains many of the basic sources that bear on that question.
1: So the reader is has the Constitution with comments. Is that what? Yeah. You. Okay.
2: Yeah. We think it's a big book. I mean, this is like, you know,
1: the big as the Net Bible. <laughs>
2: yeah, just about, you know, 750 some pages. Um, but it's the classics, right? So you'll go through Aristotle, stuff like that. Um, and they point out, you know, how that pertains to the Constitution. And so, on. okay. We think the fragment of text written by Abraham Lincoln, so you might be onto something. Hampton included in section one to be authoritative, Lincoln described the relation between the Declaration and the Constitution as the relationship between an apple of gold and the picture or frame of silver. So imagine, you know, a picture frame Mm -hmm. with a with a picture in it. So um, the Declaration is the golden apple And the Constitution is the silver frame around it that holds it in place and provides the structure. In the first, we may find the purpose of the American Republic. In the second, we find its method of operation. So last couple paragraphs by Larry Arne. The terms of the declaration lead one to consider the most basic issues. Those who wrote the declaration were committing an act of treason against the most powerful sovereign on earth. As they did this, they made the claim that they were acting according to certain laws, higher laws, the laws of nature and nature's God. To understand the foundation of the Constitution, Lincoln suggests that we must examine these laws. Alexander Hamilton said that the rights named in both the Declaration and the Constitution are not to be rummaged for among old parchments, but rather they're written as with a sunbeam in the whole volume of human nature by the hand of divinity itself. Now, all that language, Hampton, really is describing what we went into for a few podcasts earlier on, on the natural law. Right. Right. That's what they're describing. So this reader, in other words, a reference to this book again, is full of dusty parchments, for which fact perhaps we should apologize. On the other hand, we know that Hamilton wrote that beautiful passage only because we have the dusty parchment in which it is preserved. So that's the opening little section of the US Constitution, a reader that's put out by, um, oh, what's what's the school? Hillsdale. Yeah, Hillsdale, thank you. Okay, so let's turn to the uh, Declaration of Independence. Got to flip through these pages. I left this book somewhere, Hampton, and it like it's all wet and my pages are warped. How terrible. What disrespect to a, good, <laughs> to a good book. Okay, so here's the Declaration of Independence. You <clears throat> know, I'll, I'll read some and we'll talk a little bit, read some. It's, it's not huge, maybe five pages long. When in the course of human events, to the separation so let's pause there that's the first paragraph mm-hmm. i i just want to say this again because i'm often so impressed with this do you think these guys could communicate
0: <sighs> yeah <laughs> <No>? i mean
2: <laughs> was, was that not oh just a wonderful sentence it is man we don't do that today i i don't i'm sure right i mean my point of view is so limited by my own exposure but i mean i Off the tip of my tongue, I couldn't tell you a writer that's as good as this. And it it may have been Jefferson that wrote this. You know, then they send it to the committee and, you know, they doctor it up and so on. But that is so well stated. It almost reminds me, you know, obviously, this is not inspired by God. But when you read the Old Testament, for instance, or the New, and ask yourself, can these guys communicate? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. way better than we often do today yeah i'm just always impressed you know they people have these opinions i think it's really based on the assumption of evolution but that like israel you know a bunch of shepherds coming out of egypt you know some country bumpkins they don't know what they're doing moses sure sounds like he knew what he was doing Right. When you, when you read Genesis or Deuteronomy or something, it sure sounds like he knows what he's talking about.
1: Well, he was raised in the Royal family.
2: He was. So, you know, we chuckle uh, again about the education of the founding fathers. Well, just remember Moses was educated in a, a similar, in a way, right. A similar institution. Like at that time, if you were at that time in history, if you were raised in Pharaoh's court. You you had the best education on earth at that time. Mm -hmm. So the second thing is from that paragraph, note that they felt like their their rights were granted to them by nature and nature's God. (laughs) Right? So if your rights come from God, they can't be taken away. But if your worldview says there's no God, well guess what the next thing to go is gonna be? Your rights, right? Right. So that that's where we are today. So anyway, next paragraph. <clears throat> we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, It's the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that the governments long established should not be changed for light evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It's their right. It's their duty to throw off such government, to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having, in direct, object, the establishment of an absolute tyranny, over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted, to a candid world. <clears throat> so, that's like the introduction, right, of of why they're doing what they're doing.
1: Right. Then, I remember so, having to memorize that. In oh. junior high or high school, I don't remember which. But.
2: That's so good. I, I didn't. I never had to memorize that.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think I only memorized the first two paragraphs, but
2: oh, they don't so, do that.
1: I bet they don't do that anymore.
2: Well, I was going to say, I never had to do that. My education was pretty standard. So, yeah, they, they ought to. So then, then it's going to list the abuses. Okay. So he has refused his assent to laws. The most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance, unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the rights of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He's called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasion on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise the state remaining in the meantime, exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions from within. Let's pause there for a second. So imposed his own representatives rather than those who were elected. Huh, <laughs> wonder if that's wonder if that's recurred. <clears throat> Next yeah. paragraph, he has endeavored to prevent a population of these states for that purpose obstructing the laws for naturalization and foreigners refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He's made judges dependent on his will alone For the tenure of their offices and amount and payment of their salaries. He's erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislature. He's affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He's combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving this assent to their acts of pretended legislation." So that reference there, when he says, subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution, sounds to me like a mention of the Constitution, but I, I don't think that's what that is.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm not sure what that's a reference to <clears throat> for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us for protecting them by a mock trial. Huh. Do we have any of those? Yeah, I, Go think,
1: we have, I think we have <laughs> a, a few. <laughs>
2: from punishment for any murders which they should commit in the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses. For abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies. For taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws and altering fundamentally the forms of our government For suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He's abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt out our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. So you get the flavor of it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, all the all the abuses. So after all that stuff, um, here's, let's pick it up here towards the end, last couple paragraphs. Nor have we been wanting in attention to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We've reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity. We have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity They have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliance, establish commerce, to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes and our sacred honor the first signature on that John Hancock yeah i found then, a i found a leather
1: saying. pouch with a, a um, family tree my my dad's mom's mother so my great grandmother her it was traced back to John Hancock
2: so, so you're You're claiming you're descended from John Hancock. Yes. (laughs) So I think our family goes back to some German peasant. (laughs) 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 Well, way to go. So um, there you see the uh, that's the apple, right? The declaration of it. That's the picture. Mm -hmm. Then the frame that holds it in place. Is the Constitution. So let's read the Constitution. And I'll, I'll skip through, but you know, the basic parts we'll cover. So here we go, the Constitution. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tr- tranquility, provide for the common defense promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America." (coughs) Let's pause there. So how many classes, Hampton, in, in your education were founded upon or detailed explicitly the principles of exegesis.
0: You
1: mean in seminary?
2: Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, wouldn't you say kind of all of them? Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> Isn't that kind of what you're doing in school and seminary, at least in our school, right? You're learning how to exegete. I remember, <clears throat> so let me define that first of all. So that that's literally just explaining the meaning right so mm-hmm. so it's technical language work right a lot of verb study a lot of word studies a lot of how sentences are constructed all that stuff you know that they used to teach in english classes uh, you know i'm not sure how much they teach that stuff anymore certain schools i'm sure sure do but um it's language work i think the easiest way to learn that stuff is to learn a foreign language because you grow up, you know, speaking English, because that's what we speak in our culture, but you don't if you ask most people how, how would you define a participle? I mean, I have no idea. Right. I, I think you just get a Blake stare. And yet they're using them every other sentence just fine. But they don't know what that is. But if you take a foreign language, you know, you're gonna get a chapter or two on participles. You know, this is how a German does it. This is how a Greek does it. This is how a Hebrew does it. And then you go, oh, okay. Well, that's what I do too, but I do it like this. So then then you learn that stuff. So all that to say, once you've had so many classes in that kind of thing, it's, it's very hard to read um, apart from that. So when I just naturally read that opening paragraph, I have exegesis in my mind. You know, I'm reading that going, oh, okay, here's the purpose statement, right? When he says, in order to. Right. <laughs> I'm like, okay, here's what's going to follow. And then you get these like five clauses or statements that all explain that purpose. So we'll go through that in a second. But one last little story. I remember going to a church once and it was more, well, it had a certain flavor to it shall we say. So I'm sitting there and, you know, at that time in my life, spending almost every waking hour either doing or thinking about exegesis. And the preacher stands up and just goes, you know, I don't do exegesis. You don't have to do that to no good. And I'm just sitting there going, well, well, I'm not really very on board with this guy's message. And so his, his message was had more to do with, you know, I'm speaking very generally, just, you know, live and enjoy God. So I didn't want to, you know, raise my hand <laughs> during a sermon, but I pulled him aside afterwards. And I said, hey, hey so-and-so, you don't really feel the need to uh, do exegesis and he said, no. And I said, well, uh, Jesus did. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, John chapter one. And that verse that says, Jesus has explained him. That Greek word for explained is literally exegeted. So you don't feel the need to, but Jesus did. How, how's that figure in your thinking? <laughs> and, you know, he didn't say anything but come on one one ultimate application of that is this is just me hampton this is not a core belief so you are not compelled to agree with me on this okay (laughs) Okay. don't you think god wants to have adult conversations with adults yeah Wouldn't you think like, you know, as your kids grow up, it's fun and cute when they're little, you know, and you treasure those times, you know, there's a purity to that when, when they're growing up, but ultimately like my daughter's 22 now, I don't want to talk to her like she's five anymore. I want to talk to her like she's an adult. So I I think it's the same with God and the only way to really reach that kind of conversation is in a sense through exegesis right you got to understand his word right so anyway back to the constitution we the people of the united states in order to so there's the purpose so and then it's going to be modified by the following statements number one form a more perfect union So that's the first stated goal of the Constitution. Second goal, to establish justice. Third goal, to ensure domestic tranquility. Fourth goal, to provide for the common defense. Fifth goal, promote the general welfare. Next goal, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity. So in order to do all those things, they ordained and established this constitution for the United States of America. So one last uh, observation and we'll move on with the constitution. The um, World Economic Forum, right? The new new economics that are coming down. Mm -hmm. Do you think they have these same goals? I don't think so. (laughs) Not even close. Now, they might agree with something like promote the general welfare. Like they might believe it's a better way to do it. But they're, they're not about promoting the blessings of liberty. They don't want to do that. And they don't want to balance the powers. So they're completely wrong on what a human being is that is the image of mankind or the uh, image of God and they're completely wrong on the sin nature of fallen man so it's going to be terrible because they're dead wrong on the two most important things whereas our constitution was dead on on those two things so <clears throat> with the constitution now here's article 1 So let me check how many articles there are in the Constitution, because that's the biggest. Here's seven. There's seven. So seven. There are seven articles. So those are the biggest divisions of the Constitution. What we just read was the introductory paragraph. But Article 1 is the division that discusses the Congress. So section one of article one, all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and House of Representatives. So you got a Senate and the reps.
1: Right? And that was a Roger Sherman suggestion. Yeah, remember
2: remember him saying yes. Yeah. And the, the, what's going on behind that? And, and again, next time hand or I didn't say this yet, but next time we'll look at the Christian principles in the constitution. That's another chapter in this book, which will help us. But essentially they're really afraid of these, of the fallen nature of mankind. They're very afraid of that. And so they don't want, you know, any one part or minority of the population to just be able to dominate the others. So they're trying to spread out the legislative power as much as they can. And that's that's good thinking. Right. So everybody gets two senators, every state. But your House of Representatives, that depends on the size of your population. So they're kind of balancing, you know, federal power with state power. And that's a good idea. So Section two. The House of Representatives shall be composed of members chosen every second year by the people of the United States and the electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for electors in the most numerous branch of the state legislature. No person shall be a representative who shall not have attained to the age of 25 years and have been seven years a citizen of the United States and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state in which he shall be chosen. Number three, representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states including within this union, blah, blah, blah. Number four, when vacancies happen in the representation from any state. The executive authority there thereof shall issue writs of election to fill those vac- such vacancies. Last one, the House of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other officers and shall have the sole power of impeachment. <laughs> We've seen that in the last, in my lifetime, right? We've seen uh, Clinton was impeached. Or at least, you know, there was a trial to to pursue that. And then there was a trial to pursue Trump's impeachment. Any differences between those two uh, trials? Well, Well, in one, wasn't there actual evidence? Yeah. Wasn't there guilt? And in the other, wasn't there no evidence and no guilt? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What a... Perversion of justice. So, uh, section three of article one the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state chosen by the legislature thereof for six years. Each senator shall have one vote and so on. Let's see, age. I'm skipping, you know, a little bit. 30 years. Yeah, no person shall be a senator who shall not have attained the age of 30 years and been nine years a citizen of the United States who shall not when elected be an inhabitant of the state for which he shall be chosen. What's that mean, Hampton?
1: Got to live live in the state. Yeah, you got to be representing.
2: Yeah. Although, listen to this closely. So you got to at least have been here nine years. And who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state for which he shall be chosen? Doesn't that that sound, that's sounds that, sound? that
1: that sounds like you're not supposed to live in the state you're chosen to represent. Yeah,
2: it said the same thing for for the representative too. That same sentence. I'm I'm not sure I understand that. Yeah. Okay. Number four, the vice president of the United States shall be president of the Senate, but shall have no vote unless they be equally divided. So VP is the tiebreaker on a Senate vote. The Senate shall choose their other officers and also be a president pro tempore in the absence of the vice president or when he shall exercise the office of the president of the US. the Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments. So the Congress brings the charges, but the Senate does the trial
0: right.
2: when, you hit, when you have impeachment. Uh, so the judgment in cases of impeachment, I'm just reading this part, because it's kind of interesting. We've had that in recent history, the judgment in case of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. But the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to law. So section 4. You know, deals with uh, when they gather to meet right the times, places and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. So I'm not going to read all of this in detail, but the issue there is that the Congress. So the representatives and the senators are really in charge of elections. So you know that's important for what's going on today because you have lots of challenges to the latest presidential election, and often what the judges will say in those courts where those challenges are brought is that this is a this is a congressional issue. You know we're we're not here as judges to hear cases about a of tri- uh, an election, mm. and and they're right when they say that. So, each, so section five, for instance, paragraph one, each house shall be the judge of the elections, returns, and qualifications of its own members, and so on. Right? So, the election issues are really congressional. Section six, the senators and representatives shall receive a compensation for their services. To be ascertained by law, paid out of the Treasury of the United States, and so on. Uh, Section seven, all bills for raising revenue shall originate in the House of Representatives. So the Congress writes the laws and holds the elections and spends the money Congress pretty powerful
1: so the um the executive branch when it creates these um organizations like I don't know NEA and FDA and all these things and then they turn around and make laws that's not actually according to the constitution
2: well I think it's the the as we read through this um I think that's really the Congress that does that. I mean, it it might be the executive that suggested or something, but I think it's the Congress that does that. Mm, Okay. Uh, Yeah. Every bill which shall have passed the House of Representatives and Senate shall before become law be presented to the president of the U.S. If he approved the bill, shall sign it, but if not, shall return it with his objections to that house in which it shall have originated, who shall enter the objections at large on their journal and proceed to reconsider it. If after such reconsideration, so in other words, they're describing the veto. Mm -hmm. So if after such reconsideration, two thirds of the house shall agree to pass the bill, it shall be sent therefore with the objections to the other house by which it shall likewise be reconsidered. And if approved by two-thirds of that house, it shall become a law. But in all such cases, the votes of both houses shall be determined by yeas and nays. The names of the persons voting for and against the bill shall be entered in the journal for each house respectively. If any bill shall not be returned to the president within 10 days, Sunday doesn't count. The way they said that was Sunday's accepted. After it shall have been presented to him, the same shall be law, a law, in like manner, as if he had signed it, unless the Congress by their adjournment prevent its return, in which case it shall not be law. So last little paragraph here. Every order, resolution, or vote to which the concurrence of the Senate and House of Representatives may be necessary Shall be represented to the President of the United States and before the same shall take effect, shall be approved by him or being disapproved by him, shall be repassed by two thirds of the Senate and the House of Representatives according to the rules and limitations prescribed in the case of a bill. And then Uh, Next section, we're still under all this stuff, you know, Article One about Mm -hmm. the Congress. The Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense, general welfare of the United States. But all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States. So next one, you know, all this is now money stuff you got like 18 paragraphs on money. So I'll just sort of briefly highlight to borrow money on the credit of the United States, to regulate commerce with foreign nations, to establish a uniform rule of naturalization and uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies throughout the US. So immigration, for instance, mm-hmm. that's all a congressional issue. To coin money, regulate the value thereof in a foreign coin to provide for the punishment of counterfeiting the securities and current coin in the US, to establish post offices and post roads, to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and investors, inventors, the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries to constitute the tribunals inferior to the Supreme Court, to define and punish piracies and felonies committed on the high seas, to declare war, grant letters of mark and reprisal, and make rules concerning captures on land and water, to raise and support armies, but no appropriation of money to that use shall be for a longer term than two years to provide and maintain a Navy, to make rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces, to provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, to suppress insurrections and repel invasions, to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and so on, to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever, over such district not exceeding 10 miles square as may by cessation, by session of particular states, the acceptance of Congress become the seat of government of the United States and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislatures of the state in which the same shall be for the erection of forts magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings. Here's the last one. To make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by this Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof. So that's why I think you know, any of those new offices and stuff like that, that has to go through the Congress. Okay. I think I think they're the final safe system. And then, you know, you get a section nine, which is all about like legal stuff. <clears throat> the migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit, shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to the year 1808 but a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation and not exceeding $10 for each person. <laughs> <laughs> the privilege of the writ of he- habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion of the public safety may require it. I had to look that up. What is it? writ of habeas corpus? So that that's Latin, I guess, for produce the body. So mm-hmm. that's, that's an important part of any trial. They're saying that privilege, you can't give up that privilege. You got to produce the fact of that. No bill of attainder or ex post facto law shall be passed. So in other words, you can't try a guy on a law that you passed after he did the crime. <laughs> you know what I
1: mean?
2: Uh-huh. Okay. So now it gets into tax stuff. No tax or duty shall be laid on articles exported from any state. No preference shall be given to any regulation of commerce or revenue to the port of one state over those of another. No money shall be drawn from the treasury but in consequence of appropriations made by law. No title of nobility shall be granted by the United States. And then there's a whole paragraph explaining that. But you can't, we don't have dukes and earls and peerage
1: right Mm -hmm. yeah
2: right i'm on that lower rung anyway i'm glad i'm on the peasant rung. glad we don't have that but i'll tell you you know that came up recently that came up in in trump's trial oh yeah yeah they they had a uh, you know some law professor some woman from one of the colleges back east testify and she made a big show of it. And they, they asked her, she made some grand statement. And they go, you know, essentially, they said, what are, what are you talking about? And she goes, Well, according to the Constitution, though Trump may name his son Baron, he can't make him one. So it was all really to make fun of Trump for naming a son Baron. it's not it's it's so stupid you know so yeah she had her little day before the senate but her point was ridiculous i mean it's it's accurate in the sense that yeah you can't do that in the united states but trump's not trying to make his son a baron
1: (laughs) Right? right
2: so section 10 no state shall enter into any treaty alliance or confederation grant letters right you can't do that as a state on your own. You gotta be in harmony with the federal stuff. No state shall without the consent of Congress lay any impose or duties on imports or exports, and so on. No state shall without the consent of Congress lay any duty of tonnage, right? So the things have to be federal, right? When you're dealing with foreign powers. Okay. So next article. So that was all about the Senate. So the next section of the Constitution is on the president. So Section one of Article two, the executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. He shall hold his office during the term of four years and together with the vice president chosen for the same term, be elected as follows each state, And then you get into the electors. As opposed to, you know, the electoral college kind right, of thing, right. as a, as opposed to just mass numbers of votes. So you get a number of pages explaining, or a number of paragraphs explaining, explaining that. Um, no person except a natural born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of the Constitution shall be a, eligible to the office of president. Neither shall any person be eligible to that office who shall not have attained to the age of, you got the Senate one, right? What do you know the president age?
1: 35?
2: Yes, you're a champion. Age of 35 years and been 14 years a resident within the United States. In case of the removal of the president from office, Or of his death, resignation, or inability to discharge the powers and duties of the said office. The same shall devolve on the vice president, and the Congress may by law provide for the case of removal, death, resignation, or inability, both the president and vice president, declaring what office shall then act as president, and such officer shall act accordingly, till the disability be removed or a president shall be elected. Um, Number seven, paragraph seven, under section one of the article two on the president. The president shall at stated times receive for his services compensation, so on. Number eight, before he enter on the execution of his office, he shall take the following oath or affirmation, I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the Office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States." Hmm. So next week, we'll look at the Christian principles inherent we're not done just yet, but inherent in the constitution. So that one just jumps out at me. And the way that jumps out at me is, you know, in Deuteronomy detailing, you know, when you guys get a king, these things should pertain to that king. And they had to know the law, Mm -hmm. right? So the president is really responsible for defending the constitution. And that's their main job, as stated in that paragraph. Right. So section two, the president shall be commander in chief of the army. Section two, paragraph two, he shall have power by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties. Section or next little. Paragraph, the president shall have the power to fill up all vacancies that may happen during the recess of the Senate by granting commissions, which shall expire at the end of their next session. Section three, he shall from time to time give to the Congress information of the United, of the State of the Union, right? We see that on TV every now and then, right? State State.
1: of the Union address.
2: Yeah, which uh, Nancy Pelosi tore up Trump's right in front of the camera. Good job, Nancy. Really respectful. The president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. So That's all of the president. So next article is the Supreme Court. So we've got a number of sections on the Supreme Court. The judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may, from time to time, ordain and establish. The judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior and shall, at stated times, receive for their services a compensation which shall not be diminished during their continuance in office. Section two of the article on the Supreme Court. The judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity arising under this constitution, the laws of the United States and treaties made or which shall be made under their authority to all cases affecting ambassadors or other public ministers and consuls, to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction, to confront controversies between two or more states, between a state and citizens of another state, and between citizens of different states, between citizens of the same state claiming lands under grants of different states, so on.
1: So I guess that would be where Texas, uh, Ken Paxton sues another state for them cheating on the election. Yeah, that's got to that, go under. that got to go to the the Supreme Court.
2: Yes, sir. Sure sounds like that to me. So, um, you know, then all this stuff about ambassadors—that's under the Supreme Court. The trial of all crimes, except in cases of impeachment, shall be by jury, and such trial shall be held in the state where the said crime shall have been committed and will not committed within any state or but when not commit, the trial shall be at such place or places as the Congress may by law have directed. Section three, treason against the United States shall consist of only levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convinced of convicted of treason, unless on the testimony of two witnesses, does that sound biblical? biblical? (laughs) (laughs) To the same overt act or on confession in an open court, the Congress shall have power to declare the punishment of treason, but no attainder of treason shall work corruption of blood or forfeiture, except during the life of the person attained. Not sure what all that, Last part meant, but Article 4. So that was the Supreme Court. So Article 4 is essentially stuff like federal versus state kind of stuff. So, Section 1 Full faith and credit shall be given in each state to the public acts, records, and judicial proceedings of every other state. And the Congress may, by general laws, prescribe the manner in which such acts, records, and proceedings. Shall be proved, and the effect thereof. So it's really kind of governing. This this article has uh, three sections, and it's really pertaining to how the states need to get along, in in light of federal power. So, um, Article Five is about how to amend the Constitution. The Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution or on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states or by conventions and three-fourths thereof.
1: Well, there's, and so a, there's been some talk about a convention of states. They're trying to get a bunch of states together. I guess they need three-fourths of yep. the 50 because yep. federal government's not doing its job, and so the states are trying to get together and, and force changes. Very good. And I don't know how many states they have right now,
2: but I imagine they'd have a tough time doing that. But but, yeah, that's the procedure laid out in the Constitution for amendments. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, Article six, we've only got two little little ones left then we're done with the Constitution. By the way, just a reminder, you know, I've skipped some of this, but it's only like little paragraphs with that have to do with minor details of how some of those things happen, you know, process details. So Article six, all debts contracted and engagements entered into before the adoption of this Constitution shall be as valid against the United States under this Constitution as under the Confederation. Couple more paragraphs that are saying the same thing. Article seven then we're done. The ratification of the conventions of nine states shall be sufficient for the establishment of this constitution between the states. So ratifying the same done in convention by the unanimous consent of the states present the 17th day of September in the year of our Lord, 1787 of the independence United States of America, the 12th. And witness whereof we have hereunto subscribed our names. So then you get all the guys who signed the constitution. Very so yeah. And so then, you know, obviously the amendments. We'll we'll look at maybe some of the amendments later on, but so let's see, there's at least twenty how many? Wait, twenty wait, wait, wait. It's at least twenty-three. It looks like there's Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. So you're a champion. Twenty seven amendments. We'll look some of those are critical. We'll we'll look at those. A lot of those were Patrick Henry, right? You need to was, make it so that say, you I can could try to
1: remember who it was we talked about that insisted on the Bill of Rights.
2: Yeah, I think it was Patrick Henry going, Hey, you gotta have that in there because maybe we don't have this exactly right. <laughs> you and by the way, you see that kind of thing in the bible here's here's where in in exodus you know when moses is essentially laying down the law right Mm -hmm. after right they've come and so eventually a guy like they catch a guy and he's in a fight with his neighbor and his big wrestling match ensues and in the course of it the guy like curses yahweh and so they bring that to Moses. And it wasn't just the fact that they're fighting, it's the fact that this guy cursed God. And so Moses goes, Well, let me check. We see what to do about that. And so he goes, You know, 10 of meeting, meets with God, and they sentence him to death for that. According to God, you I know, mean, directly, God saying, Here's what you do about that. So in a sense, that's like an amendment, right? They hadn't run into that yet. What mm-hmm. what do we do about this case? Well, okay, here. So you see that kind of thing happening even in the Bible. It's, it's interesting. Right. Very so good. that's what I wanted to do. Oh, because of this, Hampton, I don't think I remember uh, years ago. Oh, gosh, at least 30 years ago. I mentioned something about it, the Constitution in, uh, you know, just conversation, and one or, one of the members of that conversation, you know, guffaws, and she says, "Oh come on, when when was the last time you read the Constitution?" And I said, "Well, a couple of days ago," <laughs> <laughs> which would would not usually be true, right? But I I had in that case, and that that's why I had brought it up. But the point is, most people don't read that. And so I wanted to put it out on our podcast. We read probably seventy five percent of that. And I've detailed the stuff I skipped was just little details about process things. Mm -hmm. But most Americans are very unfamiliar with the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And I, I say most because I kind of am, you know, I have to read that from time to time. That's not in the forefront of my thoughts. And right. if, if I am, I just assume most people are. So it's good to read that. It's It's helpful.
1: Very good. Okay. Well, I guess we'll talk to you next time then.
2: Thank you, Hampton.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect.